This is Josh Summers, and you're listening to Everyday Sublime, the podcast where through reflections, talks, conversations, I try to explore a full-spectrum spirituality uh, through the lens of practices that in, include yin yoga, qigong, um, my experience as an acupuncturist, um, but also Buddhist meditation. So using these three or four lenses of somatic practice, contemplative practice, and energetic practice, how do we uh, self-design an integral life practice for our own development and growth and awakening of sorts? Um, what I want to share with you in this episode is the first talk, it's really the introductory talk of the new course that Terry and I are launching called Yin Yoga and Qi Cultivation Training. This is for practitioners, students, or teachers who are looking to integrate these three themes of yin yoga, qigong, and particularly the, the theory of Chinese medicine that uh, I'm applying to this course that draws on protocols of acupuncture points that are used to treat and address exhaustion, systemic inflammation, uh, chronic stress, and anxiety. And I call these the disharmonious quartet, the quartet of disharmony that like, like you and like me, we've all been living through this ever since the pandemic has hit. You know, we've all seen these, these dynamics in, in our life before, but there's something, there's a new level of um, kind of pervasiveness of these qualities of exhaustion, inflammation, stress, and anxiety. So in the course, there's four weeks where um, I, I give you through talks uh, about Chinese medical theory, I give you the theory around how acupuncture practice integrated within a yin yoga, yin pranayama, i.e. breathing practice, can really help address these patterns. Um, and Terry's qigong is a, is a beautiful complement, uh, a, a more moving fluid form to those practices. So if you're inter interested at all in this course, uh, it's, it's uh, running this June, and you can join us now and participate in the live sessions. We're recording these live sessions um, or hosting them, I should say, for people who want to connect. Um, you can certainly take this course as a self-paced course. There's no time uh, time requirement in terms of when you finish the course. But if you'd like to participate with a group going through this course together, which we're, we're offering now, June's the time to do it. There's still time to get into the early um, end of the course. We haven't really gotten any past the introduction material. So next week or this coming week, I'm starting to address the kidneys, the adrenals, and how nourishing our kidneys and adrenals with acupressure points um, in our yin yoga practice can really help uh, rectify some of those or mitigate some of the effects of chronic exhaustion. So there's a link for you in the show notes. And what I'm giving you here in this talk is the opening talk of the course where I share my, what I call my yin odyssey. And I mapped it out, it began in 2001. So of course I was thinking of 2001 space odyssey. And then I realized in 2010, there was another kind of um, big shift in my odyssey with yin yoga. Um, and then that led all the way up into the pandemic. And, and through these years, I really reflect on my open and ongoing conversation about what the relationship between really yin yoga is and what yin yoga can offer a meditator. So what the relationship between yin yoga and meditation is, 
particularly around the uh, experience and cultivation and, and in some ways, I won't say mastery, but skillfulness with samadhi states. I think yin yoga offers a lot of, of a very powerful tool for the meditator looking to uh, understand the mechanisms of samadhi and be able to experience samadhi. Um, but as I say in the talk here, it doesn't. The path doesn't end with samadhi, and in many ways, samadhi is the, as I say, the um, kind of a spiritual cleanser for the toilet bowl of our life. So you'll hear more about that in the talk. But um, the other part that I, I really reflect on in the talk is what the relationship between um, sort of the energetics and knowledge about the energetics from a Chinese medical perspective, what that can do for a practitioner of yoga and meditation and, and how weaving all three, I think, can really be a powerful agent for self-cultivation, self-development, growth, maturation, um, and onward evolution of, of one's being. So uh, again, there's a link for you in the show notes that links you to the course page on our site where there's a, I give you a, a talk, a video talk of the overview of the course. But here's the opening story, and I hope you enjoy it. I know it's a bit long, but I also get into the logistics of the course. So if you are interested in taking the course, you can hear how the logistics work. But the heart of the spirit of the course is really contained in, in some of my practice stories here. So without further ado, I'm now going to bring you my yin odyssey. Welcome here. Great to see you all. Um, you know the name of this training, this course. It's Yin Yoga and Qi Cultivation. And uh, as Terry and I have been putting this course together, we we originally budgeted to have four live practice discussion sessions like this one. And the closer we got to the launch, we realized we needed one more. We needed one more. We needed an introductory session um, so that we could all gather, which is going to be a theme of chi cultivation, gathering our chi. But I needed to get you all gathered and share what I think of as the, the integral thread or the, the story threads of this training. And I want you to understand the story threads of this training because I think the story speaks to what it's really what the DNA of the, of the practice is all about in terms of how I conceive it. Um, and if you've done a training with me before, you know that kind of one of my foundational stories is what occurred to me or what started happening for me in 2001. <clears throat> so 2001, I'm not ex sure exactly how old I was, about 27, 28 years old. And I'd recently returned from three years of living in Asia, where I was teaching primary school, teaching English, studying yoga, getting into meditation. Um, and I returned in 2000, 2000 but in, in 2001, I was in my first year of acupuncture school. I had come back to go, to, go into acupuncture school. And the story that I think many of you know is, in that first year of acupuncture school, a friend of mine invited me to go on a silent meditation retreat for nine days at the Insight Meditation Society. And at that point, my yoga practice was exclusively Iyengar yoga. So I had what I would call a very serious Iyengar yoga practice. And 
I went on that retreat with a fair degree of confidence that my body would be prepared, my body was ready. And what I encountered was four, five, maybe longer, but four or five days of torture. And that my body was not prepared. My body was in a lot of pain. I couldn't figure out how to sit comfortably. And my mind was just in a, in a storm of anxiety and fear and frustration. And that was um, a very difficult retreat in a way because I felt, as I often share, I felt a sense of, of kind of spiritual betrayal. I thought to myself, what's going on here? I'm doing this much yoga ostensibly to prepare my body to sit in meditation, which is the direction I felt the practice was, was going to explore the depths of uh, consciousness in meditation. And yet my, my practice uh, wasn't sparing me the, the, the numbing, aching pains of long meditation retreat. So coming off that retreat, I, um, I was fortunate enough that a student of mine, a yoga student, had just returned from studying yin yoga with Paul Greeley and Sarah Powers. And she was very enthusiastic about yin yoga. And she said, Josh, you're going to love yin yoga. Combines everything you're interested in. It combines the, <clears throat> the stimulation of the channels of acupuncture. It prepares the body for meditation. It makes meditation posture more available, less pain-ridden. So she had my attention. And the way the story goes is I had some privates with her. I took a few of her classes. And initially, I was not buying the practice. I was not taking it. I was not interested. I looked at it. I sampled it. It looked lazy. It looked sloppy. It looked ill-informed. It didn't have any alignment that I had learned. And I had so much cognitive dissonance, I just said I'd put it aside. But I was really falling in love with the Dharma at the time. I, I really felt like I'd found my uh, a, a real spiritual home at the Insight Meditation Society, and I wanted to go back. So I went back three weeks, three months later, and hit that wall again. I hit that wall of physical misery. And on that second retreat, a little voice of wisdom in my mind said, what about yin yoga? Maybe you should give this a shot. And uh, after that retreat, I, the second retreat, I took up the practice and, and was interested in giving it a, a chance. I, I told myself I'd practice it for a year and see where it led. I always want to flag that because um, I, 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 I'm, I have to say I'm a little bit proud of my spirit, my spirit's intention to practice it for a year. Now, I, I didn't appreciate it then. It just seemed like what you'd had to do, try something for a year and really evaluate it over a long period of time. But if I think about that now, about the, the patience and tolerance people have for trying new things and how quickly they get rid of something that doesn't seem to bring instantaneous results, um, I'm, 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 I am somewhat pleased with my willingness back then to engage with the practice. And luckily, I didn't have to wait a year. 
within three months, I was again going on a silent meditation retreat. This 2001 marks the, the first decade of my Dharma, serious Dharma practice. And for the first half of that decade, I was a re retreat junkie. I would go on retreats every opportunity, every uh, school break from acupuncture school, every time I had a, a break or a holiday, I would go on retreat um, about three or four a year. But on the third retreat, something really amazing became apparent to me that in the three months that I had been integrating yin yoga into my practice, something happened in my body, something was transforming in my body where deep held tensions were, were softening, were loosening. And I was able to sit in a normal meditation posture for much longer periods of time, experience much less physical discomfort. And the consequence was I was noticing that yin yoga plus meditation was bringing me effortlessly into what the literature refers to as samadhi states. And samadhi states are a unified, gathered together experience of pleasure. Sometimes it's blissful. Sometimes it's just peaceful. But it's a real supercharged energetic state in which, um, in the wisdom traditions, the mind is much better situated to see the nature of things. Samadhi is not the goal per se, but it's a very helpful tool in one's repertoire of practice for the development of compassion and wisdom. So I, at, you know, after that third retreat, I became a, a yin yoga fundamentalist, yin yoga born again. I wanted just to, to, to preach the, the, um, the gospel of yin yoga. Now, at the same time, 2001, this, this, this decade from 2001 to 2010, I, in the early part of the decade, I was going through a master's program in acupuncture, and I was beginning to practice acupuncture. And with my acupuncture practice, I, you know, in school, we learn lots of theory, we learn lots of typical point prescriptions and formula and treatment strategies. And when I went through my internship, any, and I would say even into the first year or two of my practice, I would get what I would classify as mediocre results for my treatments. I had observed Japanese and Chinese masters when I was in my training program, and I could see that, you know, with one needle insertion, they could get remarkable results. And myself, and or I could see in my colleagues, we were, for the most part, getting mediocre results. <laughs> it's hard to say. Was it the acupuncture? Was it the fact that they, the person just came to the, to the clinic and got a little care? There was a therapeutic encounter, a placebo effect. It was hard to say what was really happening. But after graduation, after I graduated from school um, and I was living in Boston, I started to mentor or uh, take continuing ed seminars with a local master in Boston who is internationally renowned. And her name is Kiko Matsumoto. She's still practicing and thriving in her practice. Um, but I observed how Kiko worked and I noticed that 
learned that she had specific root formulas that she used again and again and again for a variety of different patterns of disharmony in, in, their, in her patients' presentations. And I was also, I, when I said a mentoring, I was mentoring under one of her senior students, a guy named Marcus Schulkind, who uh, was a both a dance instructor and an acupuncturist, and still is in, in the Boston area. And one of the things about shadowing Marcus was that because of his expertise in the dance world, a lot of dancers from the Boston Ballet were coming to see him. And I watched watching him work and having him be able to explain it and translate it to me. I saw him, and I, then I also saw Kiko do this, but they were getting, quite frankly, inexplicably miraculous results, stuff that I had never seen when I was training in acupuncture in my master's program. And the more I started to try to adapt or integrate and apply their Kiko's protocols that I was learning into my acupuncture practice, I saw that my own results were less mediocre. <laughs> this made any sense. As an acupuncturist, I was getting less and less mediocre. But I too was starting to see more instantaneous positive benefit that patients were getting. So those are two of the story threads at play within this training. The relationship between yin yoga and we call it a spiritual dharma path of the heart. The relationship between acupuncture and the energetics of our being that I was learning through from Kiko Matsumoto and others. And a question, a, a big meta question came up for me over and over and over again, which boils down to what is the relationship between what we do on the yoga mat, what is the relationship between what we do on the meditation cushion, what is the relationship between those two and what we do when we get treatment from a body worker, what is the interrelationship between all these three things? The third piece, which is now really coming into maturation in this particular training. The third piece is that shortly after I started practicing yin yoga, I also started to discover a whole variety of fascial training systems with their unique fascial training tools. So you've heard, you may have heard of some of these, but and I may, and I'm not going to mention all of them, but the ones that I was most exposed to and and practicing with and playing with in my own practice were uh, Jill Miller's yoga tune-up system, of, of yoga balls sort of, that could be used to stimulate areas of the body and, and, and train the fascia, the Yamana system, the Yamana ball rolling system, more larger inflatable balls for parts of the body the MELT system, Sue Hitzman's program. And uh, later I discovered a colleague of mine from the same acupuncture school I went to started a business called Acumobility, which produces these flat-based or nip nipple-shaped silicon self-massage balls. 
And this is the one that we recommend or suggest in this training. I'll come back to these. But here's the big point. In integrating strategic self-massage within the yin yoga practice and then meditating after that, I felt like I had roughly discovered the magic sauce. <laughs> there was something magical about this formula. formula. Yes, yin yoga and meditation alone. Yin yoga was a wonderful tool for, for, for meditation. And when I did that on retreat, and I want to, I want to be, I made a note in my journal when I was trying to prepare this talk. Point I want to make about the retreats is I don't want to um, wow, try to inflate my, my spiritual resume here and saying, oh, I did three to four retreats for five years and two months in Burma and did all that time on the cushion. I'm not trying to impress you with that. What I'm trying to do by mentioning that is those retreats were a laboratory. Those retreats were me going deeply into the practice and seeing how powerfully I could sense the yin yoga practice influencing my energetic state because I was really observing nothing else on the retreat other than my energetic state. So I could really be sensitive to and my awareness could pick up and see with refinement what impact the practice was having. Because I couldn't, I wouldn't do yin yoga all day. And there were sittings where my body would get stagnant and feel blocked and I'd feel irritable. But then I'd sneak into my room when no one was looking and hang out in some yin yoga poses, go back to the, to the meditation hall and find, oh, now things are flowing. Now there's a calm flowing presence. There's a settling. This is nice. When I then added in the massage work, the self-stimulation self work of massage with any of these tools, it was an, like an augmented power in the practice. And I've been loosely referring to this as a kind of samadhi slingshot, if you will, that combining the yin yoga with the self-massage and then meditating with those uh, components added, there's a way that I felt like I was just able to reliably experience effortless an effortless quality of samadhi, um, which I'm going to argue is possibly the most healing state a being can get into. And I've heard that I've heard other meditators speak to this and share about it. Um, I've certainly experienced this myself that when the heart rests in that tranquility and serenity of samadhi. There's a tremendous peace. There's a tremendous sense of unburdening, of letting go, just feeling the burden of stresses, the burden of worries, the burden of fear fall away. And for a moment or two or several, the mind and heart have a glimpse of a potential, of a new potential. We have a direct reference point for a new way of being that's not predicated on reactivity. So if I were to summarize all that, I would say yin yoga, in my observation, in my own practice, seems to me like an incredibly powerful general way to support the harmonization of qi. And that's the thesis that I spell out and 
lay the foundation for in the traditional Chinese medicine module that's part of our school. But then acupuncture, the practice of acupuncture has always been a more specific, targeted way to harmonize qi. And by harmonize qi, I mean strengthening what is weak, helping circulate and flow, which may be stagnant, and helping settle and really settle one's being into a calm, flowing experience of presence. Now, so that was like 10 years of deep, early practice for me. And then in 2010, really as a part of a, as a response to the 2008, 2000, 2009 financial crisis, in 2010, I was um, very lucky that a friend of mine invited me to teach in Switzerland. And that was really the beginning of opening um, some invitations up that came in from Europe and elsewhere through the United States. And I slowly started to travel more consistently for my yin yoga teaching, offering trainings. Now, that, that, was, that was another decade, a decade of being on the road. And as wonderful and as um, much as I learned from that decade of being on the road, I can also say that it was incredibly hard. It was an incredibly hard way to live and find balance because traveling on planes, crossing time zones, sleeping in strange beds, eating strange food, waking up at strange times <laughs> does not make for harmonized chi. And related to the theme of this course, which I'll, I'll come to more around addressing patterns of exhaustion, inflammation, stress, and anxiety, that decade on the road brought me at a deeper level face-to-face -face with those four conditions, those, those four conditions of, of disharmony. I was, with all the jet lag and the poor sleep, I was getting more and more exhausted. I, the flying, for sure, I could feel how much it puffed me up and inflated me with inflammation. I was always stressed about making the connection, making the showing up on time. Was my projector going to work? All the, the details of managed self-management, because I don't have a manager other than myself. All the stress. And then the anxiety. How long would I be able to keep doing this in a very real way? So as I as I, I was what I'm trying to share here is that as I experience more and more of what I refer to as the, the disharmonious quartet of in, exhaustion, inflammation, stress, and anxiety. I dialed in even more and leaned more heavily on yin yoga and self-massage practices and breathing practices to help my energy rectify the assault it was getting through crossing time zones so much. And it really helped. It really helped. But in 2020, so this is now a decade of traveling, 2020, things changed as we know. The pandemic rolls in. And my travel stopped. My acupuncture practice stopped. And in that void of everything stopping, I didn't know what was going to happen in terms of the direction, 
that my teaching was going to take or the direction of my work and livelihood. I didn't know how much I'd be able to continue doing any of this. Luckily, we figured out a way. We found ourselves online and we're very grateful. I'm very grateful for Terry, our relationship and our ability to, to host a sangha of practitioners through which we can continue our practice together. But while the pandemic brought many things, COVID, economic interruption, disruption to daily life, I think the pandemic at the very least brought at a massive collective level, the pandemic ushered in massive exhaustion, massive inflammation, massive stress, and massive anxiety. And since this transition, um, since I merged with Terry, we moved to, together in Maine. We merged our teaching online together. I've been, we've both been talking about for three years now, how do we, what's the next evolution? What's the direction our teaching is going? And in many ways, this training is um, the first more comprehensive, formal articulation of how we practice, how we think about practice. And we're hoping that we can share this with you so that you can take some, a lot, a little, all, none. You can take some of this content. And as always, as we say, imitate it a little bit, integrate it into your own practice, ultimately innovate upon it and share it either with yourself as your as a part of a personal practice or share it with others if you're teaching i mentioned kiko matsumoto's name and i'm still on her newsletter for offerings she gives for her own continuing ed seminars and on her system of acupuncture and recently, in one of her promotional emails, there was a testimonial from one of her students. And I want to share the testimonial because I feel like I could have written it. It's not my words, but this is somebody else, but it really captures what I would like to say about her teaching. The quotation is this, the testimonial reads, if Kiko only taught knock their socks off techniques, knock their socks off techniques for instant results, and she does, her seminars would still be the best investment you can make for your practice. So this is to acupuncturists. And I certainly, I, my entire acupuncture practice was based on her system. And I was incredibly grateful for that foundation she gave. But the testimonial then says this. It says, that she also inspires us to think more flexibly, more deeply, and more creatively about our medicine is the reason she is the most influential and sought-after acupuncture teacher of our time. That she teaches us, inspires us to think more flexibly, more deeply, and more creatively. 
when I was early in my practice, Kiko has two big textbooks that she's produced called Kiko Matsumoto's Clinical Strategies. But the subscript or the subtitle of these books is In the Spirit of Master Nagano. So it's Kiko's Clinical Strategies in the Spirit of Master Nagano. And Master Nagano was one of her Japanese teachers. So she studied, she stood on the, on the shoulders of Master Nagano, she interpreted, she integrated everything she had learned, and then innovated upon that, creating her own system. And so I want to I share that testimonial because this shares my spirit. I really feel like I align with the spirit that not just Kiko, all our teachers, all my teachers, I stand on their shoulders with a deep sense of gratitude. And now having roughly 20 years of time to practice, imitate, integrate, I now find Terry and I are really innovating something that is, um, you know, has a fingerprint of our practice that's somehow unique. So it's, a, it's, it's slightly different from what I've seen elsewhere. And my hope, again, is that in applying the core principles that we'll be going over in this training with the, the basic formula of self-massage or acupuncture-based self-massage protocols that you or your students will be able to intuitively support your capacity and growing facility with harmonizing your own chi, with accessing the experience of samadhi, with bringing your heart into the sublime state of stillness where deep healing can occur. Now, I know I, I highlight all the positives of samadhi, and I don't have my journal in front of me, but the other morning I wrote, samadhi, samadhi is also a solvent. It's like a, as I said in the journal, my journal, samadhi, the experience of samadhi will function also almost like a, a cleansing solvent for your toilet, your soul's toilet. And I'm not the only one that said this, but when you do samadhi practice, you know, the, the dirt, the, the, the stuff that's uh, unintegrated, the shadow material does come out in the wash. So it's not that it's like all yellow brick road, better and better and better, brighter light, deeper love. It, there, there is that, but there's also the yin-yang harmonization of things that we may have repressed, ignored, not wanted to look at very much. So in a moment, I'm going to talk about the logistics, but the essence here, I would say, uh, the essence of this training is in, is in a way aligned with the spirit also of the ancient and foundational Chinese textbook or 
classic of Chinese medicine known as the Huangdi Neijing. This is the Yellow Emperor's classic of Chinese medicine, written 200 years BC, roughly. And in that classic of Chinese medicine, the Huangdi Neijing, there's an opening dialogue where a student says to the master, he says, in the old days, I've heard that people live to 100 years of old. I heard that people live to 100 in age, but nowadays nobody seems to live that long. What's going on? And the yellow emperor, the, 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 the master of, of, of Chinese medicine says, yes, in the old days, people practiced Tao. They practiced the way. They were regulated in Eating, you know, eating at regular times. They were regulated in going to bed and waking up at regular times. They practiced stretching, massaging, and breathing to channel the flow of their chi. They practiced meditation to calm their spirit. And in aligning with the Tao and harmonizing yin and yang within, they live their full potential say, 100 years. I'm less interested in having us live to 100 years as I am interested in having us live our full potential. And I hope that including some of the content and material of this training, that this, these become helpful tools to you in your own journey. And I look forward to hearing how you engage with this material. I look forward to your questions. And I will now talk about what I see are the more logistical points of, of this course as an introduction before we go into the practice shortly. So the, on the logistic front, I have five things I just want to mention. And if there's questions around any of this, we can quickly address those um, before we practice. But the first thing is tools, recommended tools. The first tools you're going to have are your body and particularly your hands. So a lot of the stimulation on the points, we can use our thumbs, our fingers, our palms, we can use our hands. But for um, a more sublime stimulation, if you will, <laughs> um, we're recommending that you acquire uh, either a tennis ball, that's sort of a bare minimum, or um, if you're able to get it shipped to you wherever you live, an Mobility ball. Um, and we got an email saying that these don't ship on the on the link I gave in the course, that these don't ship to the UK or maybe elsewhere. So I, I would like you to have some sort of self-massage ball. It doesn't have to be the Accumobility ball that we link to in the course materials, where we say at, 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 on the course page on, on the website. Um, you can get an, a yoga tune-up ball. If I know in Germany, they produce, um, because I've traveled to Germany more to teach, I know they have lots of self-myofascial balls there. Any ball will really work. Um, the reason I recommend this Mobility ball is that it's stable base and silicon material, I think, give a unique way of gripping and, and, and um, stimulating points or stimulating uh, target areas of the body. But you don't have to get this, but I, I do recommend this. But I, I would like you to have something like a some sort of massage ball um, for the course. And then another 
fairly inexpensive tool is a gua sha stone. Now there's a link to that in the course. I'm not particular about getting you getting the ones that we link to, um, but a gua sha stone roughly in this heart shape formation will be a good adjunct tool. And these are both um, part of uh, the, the, the daily repertoire or daily tools that Terry and I draw from in our, in our own practice. So those are the two tools that we're recommending. Um, and again, your hands will be working nicely for, for a lot of the points too. In terms of the, 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 the kind of the flow and organization of the material in this training, we're meeting now for a live session. Hopefully, if all goes well, during this live session, the first week's lessons are going to be unlocked in the course. And those lessons include some theory talk. They give, they include tutorials about point location, discussion about the points effects and how to stimulate those points. It also includes practices, a pranayama practice and a Qigong practice. And my hope is that over this next week, so they, those lessons unlock today, but between now and next Friday, you'll have some time to go through those lessons. It's about three hours in total, maybe a little bit more. It's about three hours in total. Don't, I wanna manage your stress level, manage your, the weight that you're carrying. I want, I want you to know that all of the material is going to be forever available to you in the course on, the, on our website. So it's not like if you miss it now, it's the, the video is going to disappear in three weeks and, and you won't be able to go back. The broader intention, my hope is that this is a training, this course is something you're going to return to again and again because... A, that's how I had to practice acupuncture. I had to, I got basic theory the first year. We reviewed the basic theory the second year and added onto it. We reviewed the basic theory again the third year, added onto it. I got into the practice of my own clinic. I had to review it again and again and again. And every time I review even just foundational basics of Chinese medicine, I start to see and recognize new connections. So my hope is that this will be a review course for you. This is something, something that you can return to. It's going to be an ongoing resource. And the more you review and practice with it, the more, um, the, more the, the integrated, interconnected layers of what we're describing start to become a lived experience and understanding for you. So those are the lessons. There's going to be pre-recorded tutorials. And then every Friday... We'll re we're recording this session, and the practice will be added to the, um, the assets within the course for your on-demand viewing pleasure. And um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about that at the moment. Really, in the, the, the practice time together here, this is where I'm calling it the yin sublime practice. And each week we'll focus on one of the core disharmonies described um, in the in this quartet of disharmony whether it's exhaustion inflammation stress anxiety 
each of those patterns tends to relate to a particular organ system in Chinese medicine. Exhaustion affects the kidneys a lot. Inflammation affects the fascia. And in Chinese medicine, that's the triple burner, which I'm going to talk about in two weeks. That's the organ of the triple burner. Stress negatively impacts all the organs, but particularly the liver. And anxiety is hostile to the heart, to our heart spirit. So each week, we'll be focusing our practice, the protocol on an organ system and its particular common telltale disharmony pattern. These are basic guides. In the first, one of the first talks in this course, um, one of the talks in the, in the, one of the lessons for this week, I review my general hypothesis around how yin yoga harmonizes chi. And I want to say this here. I really believe yin yoga on its own does like 80% of the heavy lift of supporting and mitigating exhaustion, inflammation, stress, and anxiety. Yin yoga on its own does a lot of that, addresses all of that. And I review the main mechanisms by which I think yin yoga is doing that in terms of its effect on the fascia, hydrating the fascia, decreasing inflammation in the fascia, how the breath practice of yin pranayama optimizes the biochemistry of the blood to circulate oxygen to the, to the cells and tissues, and how our mindfulness compassion practices of the heart soothe and settle the spirit. So an integrated yin yoga practice already addresses this quartet of disharmony. What I'm adding and layering in here is special formula for massage to augment the power of yin yoga. And this is, again, born, I, I say this in one of the lessons, but I want to name it here. I had this very interesting experience early in my acupuncture practice where I saw how quickly people responded to my treatments. And people who were doing yoga, by and large, had much more uh, quick responses. They, they responded much more quickly to the treatment. They would say, they, would, they were more verbal about what would happen when the needles would go in. They'd say, oh, I can feel that down in my foot, or I can feel that up in my arm. Or, there was just more awareness of what was happening, and the response was faster. People who were kind of deep in the, in the pit of exhaustion, inflammation, stress, and anxiety that had no yoga practice, it could take 10 sessions to bring about the same shift in energetic imbalance that the yogi might receive with one session. So what I'm trying to get to here is yin, the yoga practice itself is already one of the most important ways of harmonizing your chi. We're now adding in the point formula, the acupuncture-based point formula to support those processes. And I would say to, just like when we talk about holding a pose and stimulating a channel, when we practice with the mobilized and gathered intention of stimulating these points, that also activates and sharpens the intentions we have in the practice. So as our intentions become clearer, 
as our intention and perception becomes more sensitive and more focused, we can really feel how the practice is, is, is being received by our being. The next part of what's in the course, and, and in many ways, this is probably the, one of the things we're most excited about, is um, our practice teaching guides. Each week, there will be a, a PDF, a downloadable guide for teaching and practice, which summarizes, which essentializes all the themes of each week's practice. So you'll get pictures of the, where the point locations are. You'll get uh, my points around the, the actions and effects of the points. You'll have a sequence of discussion and some quotations around the, the general intention. And um, I, I just, I'm really pleased with how these guides have come together. And I'm very grateful for Terry for her beautiful artistic way that she's put these guides together. And I, I feel like I haven't, I never say enough about uh, the impact and the influence that Terry has had on my own practice and teaching. But for 10 years now, we have been sharing ideas around practice. And um, I, none of this would be happening uh, if I were just on my own. And I, I, um, it's, it's really amazing to see how Terry's own teaching is growing and, and incorporating and growing into the Qigong practice and, um, and how that is weaving together in our in the in the shared practices that we're teaching. So the guide, download the guide, review the guide when you can, glance through the guide, it's all there. And the more you review it, I'm hoping that it will just start to feel like second nature. But it will take some time. It will take your own um, patience and review with the material for it to really sink in. On the theme of time, the course we're saying, this is something that we just didn't know how to, to, to speak to in, in our copy for the course. We are having these five live sessions. And that is primarily so you have a sense of moving through the material with others and maybe giving yourself some accountability to actually go through it. So we're hoping that that stru this structure supports you. But I want you to know you have as much time as you need to finish the, the material here. And we um, there will be a short quiz at the end just to test your comprehension, but you can take that whenever the time is right for you. So don't feel, if you, if you get a little bit behind, don't worry too much. Do the best you can, review the guides, do what you can with the lessons in the, in the, in the, in the course, come to these sessions to the degree that you can. Um, but over time, and, and continue, especially if you're able to practice with, with us in the Sangha, we're hoping that this material will, will, will come together, will literally harmonize within your own practice. So the final thing I want to say to just before I see if you have any questions is um, on the notion of, on the topic of questions themselves. Here's what I would prefer, and here's my request. To, to make this most effective, to make this the best use of our time. Um, and this is why we didn't start this week with kidney material, because you wouldn't have time to prepare it all. What I'm hoping is you'll, after today's session, you'll go into the course and you'll start to go through the lessons and look at the study guide. As you go through that material, if questions come up, write them down. And when you've thought about your questions for a bit, please email them to me. And I, the point there is, when you thought about it for a bit, 
you know, it, the question sometimes can be very nebulous. And if you and if it stays nebulous, that's fine. You can ask a, a, a sort of a, a looser, open-ended question. But I, I would really prefer to receive the questions over email so that I can best sort of titrate how I answer them. Sometimes it might make sense for me to answer a question before we practice on a session. Sometimes it's better to hold off and wait till after we practice. And sometimes it's going to be way better for me to hold off on a question until another week in the sequence. So if you can email me your questions, I keep them all stored in a document. I find them uh, very helpful for to frame how I'm going to speak to things. But please email me your questions. But that that said, when we meet and I address answers to questions and then we practice, if there's other things that are coming up live, there's going to be time for us to discuss things at the end of a practice. And I will be happy to field uh, more spontaneous questions at the time. But try to email me your questions if you can. It's josh at joshsummers.net. So that's, that's the big overview. And I went on a little bit longer than I intended, but I want you to know the story of where this, this training is coming from. Um, and I, uh, in the spirit of Kiko Matsumoto and in the spirit of um, harmonizing yin yang, I'll end with one more story. I was planning to say the story in the in the practice, but I think it it's coming into me right now. There's a story that Carl Jung told his students to share whenever they taught a seminar. And it's a story about a friend of his who was living in China. And the way the story is told, I'll, I'll, um, I'm going to read it from a book by Barbara Hanna here, who was one of Jung's students. Jung's friend, his name is Richard Willem. And in the part of China where Richard Willem was living, there was a great, terrible drought. You can read into that what you will. Terrible drought in a region of China. After all the ways to bring rain that the people knew had been tried, so all the ways to bring about the rain had been tried and failed, they decide to send for a rainmaker. A rainmaker was called for. And this interested Jung's friend Willem very much. And so he was careful to be there when the rainmaker arrived. The man came in a covered cart. He was a small, wizened old man. And when he got out of the cart, he sniffed the air with evident distaste. So he arrived in this area where there was a drought. He sniffed the air. It was something didn't smell right. And as he got out of the cart, he asked to be left alone in a small cottage outside the village. Even his meals were to be laid down outside the door. And nothing was heard from the rainmaker for three days. But after three days, not only did it rain, but there was also a big downfall of snow, unknown of, that, of at that time of year. Very much impressed, Jung's friend Willem sought the rainmaker out and asked him how it was possible that he, could, that he could make rain and even snow. The rainmaker replied, I have not made the snow. 
and I am not responsible for the rain. But Willem insisted that there was a terrible drought until the rainmaker came. And then after just three days, they even had quantities of snow. Clearly, there seems to be a causal relationship between the rainmaker's arrival and the rain and the snow. The rainmaker answered. The old man said, oh, I can explain that. You see, I come from a place where the people are in order. They are in Tao. So the weather is also in order. But as soon as I got here, as soon as I arrived, I saw the people were out of order and they also infected me. So I remained alone in this little cottage until I was once more in Tao. And then, of course, it snowed. Now, is the intention that I have for sharing that story so that we can all solve climate change by sitting on our cushion? That would be nice. Of course, climate change is the result of collective human action. My sense, and this is an emerging sense I have, and take it as a, again as a hypothesis, that when a practitioner harmonizes yin and yang within themselves, and they heal, they clean their toilet, and heal their own traumas, their own wounds, their own neuroses in a, well, in a way. In that process of healing comes, I feel, a recognition of one's own unique gifts. This is, and this is very much inspired by Carl Jung, but integrating conscious persona with the unconscious is key to opening to your own unique gifts. And then in the Jungian sense, one's meaning in life, the meaning in life that we each individually create is intimately tied to sharing those unique gifts. And so I hope that continuing on in your journey, whether it's in yoga in general or meditation and yin yoga specific, but in learning how to harmonize, how to balance yin and yang within your own being in an ongoing way, it's never an end point. It's an, it's an ongoing developmental process. My hope is that you start to really awaken your own heart spirit, which is able to see and recognize and receive your own gifts. And then in a gesture of love, you share that. A few weeks ago, my favorite and in some ways most influential spirit 
on my life died. It was a, an author. I never met him personally, but I read many of his books. His name is Martin Amos. You might not like any of his writing. I love it. In one of his books, he said, literature's dewy little secret is this. Its energy is the energy of love. And I would say the same for practice. The path's dewy little secret is that its energy is the energy of love. So from that intention, bringing love to ourselves, to our energy, our minds and hearts, I hope we can activate our own spirit's potential We can all deflame, become more nourished, less stressed, less anxious, so that so that our effectiveness in the world becomes meaningful and alive. And how you go with it, what you do with it, the direction you take, is your unique journey. I'm very clear on that. But it's an honor to be able to practice with you. It's an honor to meet you on the path. And it's an honor to walk with you on the path. Okay, if you're still here, congratulations. You have great attention span. Um, I always leave a special place in my heart for people that make it to the end of an, an episode. Um, so I'm glad you're here still. And just to say on the, as a closing note, if you, again, if you'd like to join me and Terry in our practice sangha, there's a link for you in the show notes on that, where we offer four weekly classes in uh, meditation, yin yoga, and qigong. And uh, if you're interested in the training we're running now, our new yin yoga and qi cultivation. And this is really the the most recent evolution of our teaching, particularly our conjoined teaching, our, share, our, our, our teaching as, as, as real teaching partners, um, where we're, we're really integrating our own personal practices that we've been exploring together for, for over, about a decade now um, and, and bringing that experience to bear uh, for your own teaching and your own practice um, and your own cultivation. So check out the link in the show notes and I look forward to seeing the next episode. Until then, please stay safe, take good care, keep practicing, and I wish you all my best from a very rainy, chilly, uh, I would say Irish day in Maine. <laughs>